Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another week of Growing With My Fellow Growers. I'm your host, Jack Greenstock, joined, as always, by an awesome panel. I'm going to pass it over first this week to Spartan Grown. Thanks, Jack. I'm Spartan Grown. You can find me on Instagram at Spartan Grown, all one word, no spaces. There's a lot of <laughs> people out there trying to be me or pretend to be me, so make sure it's the real account. Um, or you, to guarantee it gets to me, just email me, SpartanGrown at gmail.com, and I'll try to help you with all your growing cannabis growing questions happy to have you back and next up we've got matthew gates yeah hey everyone matthew gates ipm specialist uh yeah i'm excited to talk about anything that we are going to talk about i don't know the topic we never do for the most part i look forward to it probably going to be just q a tonight <laughs> with open panel hour two but uh next up we've got brandon russ what's going on everybody brandon rust here you can find me at Rust.Brandon on IG and Bokashi Earthworks. You can go check out BokashiEarthworks.com. We're having a sale on all the Micro Plus right now. And uh, yeah, glad to be here. Let's see what we get into today. Happy to have you back. I'm uh, working on getting my chat up. Make sure the listeners who are with us have live chat or all messages highlighted if you want to see everything. And last and certainly not least, who is with us right now is Noah the Groa. Yeah, how's it going, everybody? Uh, I'm Noah the Grow with two E's on Instagram. You can find me there. I'm happy to be here. Happy to have you back. And I guess since uh, I just got my chat going here, I'll uh, pass it to the panel. Anybody have anything new and exciting this past week? Uh, any events or cool things in the garden? Life updates that you want to share before we start taking some questions? I always got to get chat. all kinds of stuff going on. We got uh, an event, camping event coming up out here in Oklahoma, Harvest Fest. It's like a canvas competition, music event stuff. Mendo Dope Boys will be out here. So I'll see Oli and Belize and a bunch of other people in the community, which is always fun. Those events are always some of my favorite things to go to when I can. There's an event going on this weekend that I didn't get to make it to that I wish I would have out here in Michigan, but uh, life happens. We had a storm go through and lost power for a couple of days, so I had to deal with that. I know. There's always events, more events than I can make it to because I got all these other things going on all the time, and it's like not possible for me to get to all of them, but... There's so many now with all the different states that are online. It's uh, probably impossible unless you made it your full-time career, just going to cannabis events. And even then, I'm sure there's some overlapping dates and stuff like that. So it could become a full-time thing. And uh, yeah, no, I think most people are going to have to do more than just that. And you got a lot of other things going on. So definitely keeping yourself busy. Yeah, I usually go though. We set up a booth for Bokashi Earthworks and we talk to people and, you know, it's it's good for networking. Good for networking, getting people to switch systems, stuff like that. So we've got a question from Dick Turnip. And Dick Turnip says, how to grow bigger buds? And uh, I'd say there's a lot of ways. If you're in soil, I would say doing some sort of soil testing or analysis could be beneficial to see what you might be potentially lacking in nutritionally. Um, if you're in organics, if you're not already doing this, using something like an EC meter to know where you're at with your feeds going in and your feeds going out. 
So that way you have a good understanding of exactly what is being given to the plant, measuring as many pertinent variables as possible, like temperature and relative humidity being the big two, I would say, to try and start to dial in your uh, vapor pressure deficit or VPD, or just generally getting your environmental conditions dialed in to uh, that sweet spot where the plants grow the best. And the last note, I guess I would say is choosing the right genetics. Um, if you're starting with a bud that's going to yield extremely small, like a grin spoon or uh, certain types of cookies, then you're not going to really give yourself much potential to grow big, bigger, or giant buds. So how to grow bigger buds, those would be my three tips, I guess. Uh, good genetics, good environment, and uh, I already forgot the first one, but I'll let somebody else take it from there. I mean, the other thing is that, um, would you say good genetics, good environment? There's another one. You Oh, the, the, the feed. Nutrition. Nutrition. You took all the good ones, but there's some good ones. There's still some more. There's um, you can do plant training um, so that you can, if you're growing inside under a traditional LED system or HPS, whatever. You you just tend it tends to be better to have a flatter canopy to give you bigger buds. Um, or you could, uh, I mean, if you want to just if you're trying to just make bigger buds, you can remove bud sites. Um, this doesn't mean it's going to be bigger weight you might lose weight, but if you're just trying to grow a big bud, you can take off all side branches and just grow the top and it'll get big. <laughs> Most yeah. Like, like one dominant apical bud, just a, a giant, you know, forearm yeah. type plant. But that's what a lot, you'll see a lot of people, uh, you know, scrolling through Instagram, one of my favorite, favorite things to look at other grows. And um, you'll see a lot of people, they'll take lollipop to a new level and really, really clean up from the bottoms up and take a lot of them from the bottom off. And what that'll do is it'll make you grow a bunch of tops, you know, bigger size buds. Um, you might have fewer buds for sure, but uh, you're going to have bigger buds. So, I mean, if, if you're looking to just push to make a bigger bud, you can do that with some plant training. Um, another good thing I think is roots, you know, the size of your pot. So the, if you're growing a really small pot, you know, and there is some caveats, I'm sure, to this, but uh, if you're growing a really small pot, it's harder to grow bigger buds. And if you're growing a bigger pot, it tends to be easier to grow the bigger buds. So those are my two little tips that I think I would say some plant training and, and that pot size can make a big difference in, in the size of your buds. That's what I was going to say. Another one I'll say is you can, uh, if you have the space for it, you can run a perpetual and you can backlog as and veg your plants longer. Vegging your plants, I mean, obviously there's a, you know, it's not going to work forever, but if you're putting your plants in when they're you know a month old from seed or clone for you know you're vegging for a month you can switch it to two months that'll give you bigger plants obviously in that scenario you definitely want to be in bigger pots as well in training nutrition there's a lot of different things you can do i think another really big one is like the energy allocation by removing uh bottom leaves pruning you know Really, it could be older leaves. I mean, bottom are older leaves, but I mean, that's it. You're, you're, it's when it grows a new leaf, that new leaf is way more energy efficient than that old leaf that's sitting there degrading. I 100% agree with that. I think uh, Spartan and Noah both mentioned, but like the larger the pot, uh, often people say the bigger the roots, the bigger the fruits. And if you're trying to grow bigger buds, which is the fruit of the canvas plant, then you're going to give yourself the best chance with the larger pot. We had a follow-up question from Smoke Your Own who says, would like to know how far do roots go or grow out from the center stalk under best conditions, three feet, six feet, eight feet. Um, and I think it really is depending on the plants, the, the pot size, there's got to be a certain limit. Um, maybe there's not, 
maybe if it's in the ground, it'll go 20 feet. But I think the bulk of the roots are probably going to be within a 10 foot circle. And um, if you look at like Oregon and Northern California, where they're growing in like thousand gallon pots, they're usually going like pancake style where you've got a really uh, maybe foot tall bed that's maybe, you know, 10 feet in diameter. And um, so they're not going super deep. They go super wide. So that question asking how far it goes out from the roots or uh, from the stalk is interesting. Um, I guess my thought would be kind of why does it matter? But at the same time, it is interesting to see if you were trying to grow, like maximize your planting area, like Mendo Dope style, growing a bunch of massive trees. Um, how big of the pots do you need to have? How much spacing do you need to have between the plants? And again, genetics comes into play there because they've grown 20 foot tall plants or 10 foot tall plants. That's a big difference, you know, and it might even be shorter than that. So some considerations there for sure. I agree. I thought one more thing with the, the big buds thing too, that I wanted to throw in there that I just remembered that I think is one that's often missed. And that's, um, I think it's important to learn to water your plants, right? You know, not underwater, not overwater, because when you do either one of those things that could slow growth, it could slow all kinds of processes. So if you can automate it or, or find a way or just learn how to, how to make sure that your plants are getting the optimal amount of water all the time. Not too much, not too little. That's another way to really, like when I switched to the SIP containers, that really helped me to see the difference between a plant that's watered correctly and one that's not, because it's pretty hard to not water right in a SIP container because the plant kind of dictates it. And that kind of took the guesswork away from it. And uh, it made me be able to concentrate on other stuff too. So maybe it's a twofold win there. I also wanted to piggyback on what you said initially, which um, was talking about kind of limiting bud sites. If you've ever watched the world's largest pumpkin growers, they have like a whole field of like green leafy vegetation, but there's only one pumpkin that's being fueled by basically like what would be 30 or 40 pumpkin equivalents worth of like fan leaves. So I don't know if it's like one-to-one -one with like fan leaves to pumpkins. Uh, I'm not a pumpkin grower. But when I watch the giant pumpkin growers, they always have this giant green patch of vegetative material, and it's all feeding into that one pumpkin. So apples do the same thing sometimes. If they have a bunch of small apples, they might pick 50% of them to allow the plant to redirect its energy to the 50% that are still left so that they develop a full-size fruit versus you know, 100% of 50% size fruit <laughs> type thing. So the um, this is something that does kind of happen in multiple industries. And it does come down to sort of like what you're growing it for. Like if you wanted to have big eight to 10 or 15 gram colas to like sell in a, a jar as like a quarter or half ounce buds, like um, Sunabis was doing something like that for a little while, just like single bud in a giant, like vacuum sealed jar was their thing. They just wanted to just like be able to appreciate the beauty of the bud on the plant as natural as it could be without being like too trimmed and bucked down into the smaller nugs and stuff like that. So. Anybody else have any extra thoughts on how to maybe grow the biggest buds? Grow big ass plants. Yeah, like Noah was saying, a little bit extra veg time. So letting them get a little bit larger before you flip them. Uh, bigger plants do produce bigger buds. So that's a pretty simple solution if you've got the time and the space and you're only worried about plant bud size, then uh, plant size is something you're going to probably want to dedicate time to. And like Noah said, you can do perpetual. So that way it's not as much of a uh, stressor on yourself in the garden to hold a plant for an extra month in veg because you've already got plants coming down 
you know, every two weeks or a month or whatever it is. So. Anybody else have thoughts on how far the roots will grow out from the center stock before uh, we let Tao introduce himself? I think it's super duper like contextual. Yeah. And I think that there's so, yeah, there's so many factors. Soil just, structure. I just think stick a plant in DWC nutrients. and veg it forever yeah. and you can get a yeah, yeah, exactly. as long as you want. Yeah. 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 You could definitely change it up in a very extreme way and uh, get what you want. Um, and, and I actually, I, I think I'll push back slightly on the, you know, bigger fruits or bigger roots, bigger fruits. Cause I mean, that's sort of, that's sort of true to a degree, but um, yeah, I mean, like you can, there are definitely, uh, definitely uh, contrary examples to that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, it's really, uh, it's really up to the context of how you're growing. What would the contrary kind of examples be? Because I could think of an example where like there'd be a small amount of roots that still produce well, which would be like a cocoa or a hydro situation where you have a small space. Yes, exactly. But compared, yes. compared to a similarly, uh, you know, well done situation with larger root mass, I would imagine. Well, a that good, the larger a good example would, would be like if you had that larger root mass, right? And you had really good nutrition at the beginning, but then you didn't fertilize. So you have all this root mass, but still no nutrition. That could definitely happen where you grow. I've actually had almost similar where my blue dream, the one that was uh, really vigorous, veg so aggressively that it got a little bit more hungry than the less aggressive grower in flower um, because it was just growing like crazy. So it ran through all the nutrition I was providing. And at the time, going back to my first tip, you want to have an EC meter because I wasn't measuring my EC in and out. So I was sort of just throwing darts at a dartboard and hoping uh, because I didn't know what my EC in versus EC out was. I was kind of like feed. Wait, for feed soil? Water. This was back when oh, I was in cocoa, in cocoa. But oh, okay. I also stuff. feel like, um, I feel like if you're, uh, well, I think if Dr. Coco were here, he might say this too, potentially, which is that like, it's not necessarily desirable um, to like grow big plants, right? Like, it's not that's not actually going to be uh, efficient. And uh, we've talked on the show before a bunch about like, um, you know, domestication phenotypes and plants and how over time there's this tendency that she kind of just, for the most part, um, uh, cultivars that are being bred, they kind of grow mostly the parts you want of the plant uh, and then not so much the parts you're not really worried about. And obviously that's way more efficient from like a biomass pro uh, production standpoint, not in the sort of like uh, industrial, I don't really care about plants sort of way to, I mean, biomass, but I mean, like just in the, the physical structure of the plant, right? Like, you know, if your Brussels sprouts are like only the size of dimes, <laughs> you know, Biomass right, is a thing though, because like hemp growers are growing for extract and hash growers are growing for trichome. So they do consider biomass, anything that has 10% THC or above. I think Spartan was saying in, in certain productions in Michigan, they'll take and, and lab test and use and, or maybe it was somebody somewhere else that said that, but I know 10% is usually like the minimal marker for biomass to be used in uh, production. If you're a medical grower yeah. at home and you can only grow 15 plants, uh, I mean, I would be shocked if uh, not growing them, if you were doing that and you wanted to grow as much wheat as possible, you know, the, I would recommend growers trying to fine tune that. You obviously don't want to grow six foot plants, but 
for the difference between two foot plants and three foot plants with a bigger root mass has had great success in my uh, experience. Oh, sure. And I'm sure there are plants for which that's maybe more true of a statement. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that that might not always be the case. And certainly it's not the case with a lot of plants that we grow now. And I think that, like, I remember reading, uh, and I think we talked about it like a long time ago, but like there was like a an Israeli cultivation facility where basically they were trying to grow them low and fast and just be kind of like single colas essentially. So you can just rapidly, you know, have the flower that you want and then kind of regrow it kind of like a, like a, um, Sea of green? No, no, no. Like I'm trying to think of a plant that would be an example of that, but like kind of like uh, ears of corn, I guess. Or like, yeah, just like micro propagated like anything that's monocrop. Yeah. But yeah. most places do have a plant count. So if their grower is trying to grow within the law, that does apply to a lot of the communities that we speak to directly as home growers. In California, I know we have six. Michigan, I think you can have 12 for rec uh, until you start stacking up you know, medical cards as a caregiver. Most people, to be honest, though, are, I don't think doing that. I think that's a smaller percentage of the community and even smaller just generally are growing, but we obviously want to get as many people growing as possible. And um, with that said, uh, they might not have the choice. Obviously, if you have a thousand plants or unlimited license, that's just based on square footage, you can grow the plants to be as manageable as possible so that they sit on your, you know, three foot trays and they only grow three foot tall so that they're really easy to manage for the workers who are pruning and, and trimming and growing them. Um, but that's where I think sometimes we, in the rush to perfect things for commercial production, we lose a lot of the craft that turns maybe that 16 foot tall sativa that's really unwieldy and difficult to grow and manage. Uh, that's like the best smoke ever, the best sativa that you've ever had in your life. Uh, that no one's really going to grow in the commercial market is still an amazing plant for a lot of reasons. Um, usually unique minor cannabinoids and mixes of flavonoids, terpenes, cannabinoids, and things like that. But um, the size of the plant, I think, is sort of an additional feature, I guess, to me, than as, as like a medical primary person. The, the goal, I think, is the effects and the... Um, you know, medical users and results. And if we start to focus too much on like our first question was asking, how do we grow the biggest buds? Then we're going to maybe lose some of those qualities because for example, big bud and critical, those are two strains that you never really hear. Well, you see them growing still because there's a lot of commercial production and illicit markets where they're just growing for the maximum yields to sell as much of it as possible. But if you go to a commercial or a market where it's legal, people have choice of whatever strains they want. Uh, they can grow whatever they want. They can smoke whatever they want. Uh, usually the top seller is not like big bud or critical because those are just grown for big buds and big yields. They're not like tasty. They're not particularly the most potent smoke. They don't have the best desired medical effects. So I think that sometimes um, it's easy to get kind of the cart in front of the horse, so to speak. And that would be like, focusing too much on how do I get the biggest bud and not focusing enough on flavors, effects, smell, and all the other things that really make cannabis desirable for most users. So uh, on the roots thing, I saw like a six foot banana plant growing bananas in like a solo cup amount of roots. The dude had it in one of those uh, 
PVC tubes where the water was running through it all the time. And he kept cutting the roots off so that it wouldn't clog up the system. Like an NFC near field. Yeah. Big, uh, yeah. Big roots don't matter if you're nutrient, giving them water and nutrient nutrient. film technique, NFT. If you're giving them the nutrients in the water, they don't need a lot of, a lot of roots anyway. As far they as grow I 50 foot tomato vines that. and like little hydroponic uh, rock wool cubes that are two yeah, foot so they wide. Have it. The, but so that being said, it's, it's, that's, again, it's for, that's for story. commercial production. Yeah, though. Yeah. They're doing that because it's a space thing. They want to grow it straight up so that it can climb a wall in a commercial facility. We all know that those are the fucking midsest tomatoes of all time. They're the shittiest, most flavorless, least nutritious tomatoes that you can grow. So yeah. home is that is because they have to be, or is that because of um, logistical dynamics? I think it's mostly because of the fact that they uh, har uh, harvest a lot of produce early. That's what uh, I think. So Same with cannabis. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's what, what they have to do is they have to uh, make it so it can store for a certain period. So they'll ripen it with the ethylene gas in the trucks or whatever. And then yeah. deliver it to you fresh, fresh looking. They'll be like, Oh, it's on the vine, but it was green on the vine. So it doesn't yeah. matter. I'm, I'm actually yes. right now sitting in front of a stew of tomatoes. I am making some salsa right now, so I have to roast. I got to cook these down for about four hours. Salsa. Yep. We just took a bunch of tomatoes out of our garden, too, just now. Yeah. Great stuff. It's... Let's see. After tomatoes. Brandon shows off some of these beautiful tomatoes here, um, yeah. Lord Blueberry has a great question for us. Check this out, ask. too. I'm spotlighting you. What are we seeing here? Homemade mayonnaise. Nice. And then we have all of our pickles, all kinds of pickles. We've got. Uh, you put any grape pickled, leaves in there? Pickled peppers, no grape leaves. But oh, I do okay. have a lot of these too. These are all ferments. These are garlic chili ferments. And then I have some that have like lemon, garlic. When I get a homegrown or a home uh, fermented pickle, I want that thing to crunch. I like the crunch. All good pickles should crunch, in my opinion, but that's just my opinion. Yes. It's a good I opinion. want to welcome in Dr. MJ Coco, who just joined us before we uh, start tackling some more questions. Hey, everyone. Yeah, sorry, I'm a few minutes late. I tried to, to hustle and get here quickly, but I'm Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCanvas.com. I caught a little bit of the conversation a few minutes ago as I was getting here. So um, love the Q&A chats. You guys can continue and I'll chime in. So well, crunchy pickles or no crunchy pickles, Dr. Coco? Oh, cr crunchy pickles. Crunchy. Oh, oh, yeah. Limp pickles? Are we talking about limp pickles? Doggy pickles? Like what? The moment that I joined the conversation. Yeah. Better than, better than Hermes yeah. Sticky Dickies, I guess. But uh... I mean. Yeah, no, we need a crunchy pickle. You put your pickles in the refrigerator. So, Doc, uh, we did have a question earlier talking about uh, how to get the biggest buds, biggest yields, essentially, was the very first question. How do I grow bigger buds? And we kind of all threw in some thoughts there. And the one idea we were discussing a little bit was bigger roots, bigger fruits. And Matthew said, in some circumstances, that's not always the case. And in, uh, it might get to a point. And the one part I didn't really get to agree with him yet on was if you just have a pot that's way too large and you never actually fill it all the way out, then you're not actually having bigger roots and bigger fruits here, uh, right. not going to hit that potential. But I would say bigger pot my estimate would be roots. if you did everything ideal, like let's say like a 10-gallon pot versus a 7-gallon pot versus a 5-gallon pot versus a 3-gallon pot versus a 1, mm -hmm. I would estimate that the 10-gallon pot with all conditions met ideally would be the highest yielding typically. But 
all conditions do. I'm going to really say it really depends on the media and the, and more importantly, the, the fertilization. So how the plants are getting nutrients. Um, in, and I, I think you might have mentioned this or, or said this a little bit too, like in hydroponics, the, the roots don't need to be as large as they do in a lot of other media. So um, because they have easier access to both water and nutrients, um, you know, in a lot of amended grows, the, the roots need to be able to actually grow out and intersect, um, intercept nutrients that are amended in the media. Um, and you need a lot of media, you need a lot of nutrients amended in that media, you need to have the roots have a chance to grow through that. Um, in sort of their search of nutrients. And, and in that case, you're definitely going to get a bigger plant in a larger pot because the pot size is, is basically limiting the nutrients that you're able to give to the plant. Um, so depending on how you're giving water and how you're giving nutrients, um, I, I think 10 gallons is too big in high-frequency fertigation in cocoa. Um, I've grown plants and grown, worked with growers growing plants in pots that large, and we had issues. It was hard to sort of maintain them long-term, and we were growing gigantic moms, um, but after about eight or nine months, they'd get uh, root rot pretty badly because uh, just too much, too big of a pot, um, but I, I certainly agree with you in uh, like an amended grow or an organic grow. And I, that just goes to the point that there's diminishing returns kind of with everything. Um, we were talking, I, the, another question asked, like how far will roots grow out three feet, six feet, eight feet from the center stalk. And I was kind of talking about the grows in like Southern Oregon, Northern Humboldt or Northern California generally, where you see these giant like pancake style pots that are like a thousand gallons or 2000 gallon pots that are just super wide, but they're maybe only a foot or 10 inches or 14 inches tall. Um, because the roots are known to go fairly wide, but not super deep. And I was kind of asking like, really, what is the, uh, what does it really matter? I mean, you, you want to have a bulk of healthy roots in a certain area to support the plant. Yeah. But... Again, it depends on what the roots are, are sort of looking for, um, and what they're running into as they, they grow. Um, so oftentimes plants will grow their roots out looking for water or down looking for water if they don't have sort of reliable water at, at the surface level. Um, other times they're growing out looking for adequate supplies of nutrients, particularly phosphorus for a budding plant like cannabis. Phosphorus doesn't move through the, the soil very well, um, you know, through mass flow. So like when it gets wet, a lot of other nutrients sort of will start moving towards the roots because they dissolve in the water and the roots are sucking up the water and that sort of draws the water towards the roots and it draws nutrients towards the roots. Um, phosphorus doesn't participate in that process nearly as much as the rest of the nutrients. So roots have to grow out looking for it. Um, and depending on the, the sort of where you're growing and how you're growing and whether or not you're supplementing those nutrients and with what. Um, but yeah, I think it's about that more and if you keep all of that stuff if you deliver kind of hand feed all of that stuff to your plants you can grow monster plants with relatively small root masses because they don't need to grow out looking for all of that stuff yeah we gave a few examples of in hydro whether it's cannabis or tomatoes there's pretty amazing stuff that's done in cocoa and rock wool like these you know 10 to 30 foot long tomato vines and things like that or just giant plants and like 
Smart poker has shown examples. I've had examples in my own garden in the past. One gallon coca pots or even solo cup. Uh, I think Dog Doctor is using uh, some high frequency type fertigation uh, or amended mix. And he's got like a solo cup plant that's looking pretty beastly right now as well. So we might see him later tonight. And um, yeah, so definitely a lot can be done in small pots. So never underestimate what is possible, but um, uh, a lot to consider. I've seen some evidence that claims that uh, the only thing or, or let me rephrase it, not the only thing, but a definite thing that hinders, that, that slows growth is pot size. And uh, they call it stunted pot growth, whatever. But it's all, it's all depends, like Dr. said, on what, how you nutrient, how they're getting nutrients. Because outside plants, their roots will grow like 10 feet down. Like you, you would think, even even cannabis would probably grow 10 feet down, even though most of their roots is at the top. Um, but yeah, I've I've uh I'll see if I can find the papers. I was amazed at how long some roots get on vegetables and other plants, but I, I must say I really don't know 100 percent of a cannabis plant. I know that they're more shallow and the taproot really doesn't go super deep. But yeah, there's um, not really a taproot in cannabis. Like, okay, there you go. Look, yeah, I, I I covered this on my show a few weeks ago. Pr- we what would they call that? A primary root? There's got to be a primary root, Doc. There's one that's there's not. I mean, and if you've grown in DWC or if you've looked at somebody who's growing in DWC, like the roots all branch out. They're what we call a fibrous root structure, not a taproot structure. Okay. Um, a taproot, sort of the classic case of a taproot, is a carrot. Um, but like a dandelion has a taproot too. So if you've ever pulled a dandelion out of your yard, it's got like, if you do it well, you don't just like snap it off, right? But you actually like get that whole root. It's got like this big, almost looks like a carrot with like side roots coming off of it. That's a taproot. Um, and a lot of dicots have true taproots, but a lot of them just have fibrous roots where there is no true taproot. It immediately starts bifurcating and branching off um and and that's what cannabis plants just have i mean if you've seen them in 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 soil and cocoa though sometimes you get one that's like a fucking hot dog size thick ass white root and then there's a a bunch of little that are bigger at first yeah but pretty quickly they all start branching off yeah, taproot means something very specific. Vertical root that grows it's, down I think it's a misappropriated down. by cannabis people, just it's like absolutely. genetic drift and other terms that we have yes. used to describe things like somoclonal variation. Um, yeah. I think that we're describing a phenomenon that is probably best described by another term. So, so it is yeah. semantics. So, well, you know, and we're yeah. just coming up. You know, the, the way that comes up a lot is people think that there's going to be a fundamental difference with the roots of clones versus the roots say, of things. Yeah. And there's not a fundamental difference between them. And that's always what people say is like, well, clones don't have a true taproot. No cannabis plant has a true taproot. What's the difference between the clone yeah, vigor and the seed vigor then? What what accounts for that? It just, the life, just like kids are more able to let sort of repair themselves from injury than adults are. Um, there's actually sort of a stage of life adjustment that, that plants are basically like born with more vigor to shoot up like plasticity almost so like your first cut off of a seed plant is going to be more vigorous than chem 91 that's been around since 1991 would be an obvious sort of assumption to me sort of but that vigor (laughs) kind of peters out in vegetative growth pretty quickly so you know by the time that they're like 15 days old 
they're not really sort of spurting like they do in that initial growth stretch. So yeah, it's just like two weeks of, of kind of seedling vigor. Um, yeah. The hormones, XYZ Vector says, is a good point. And the the hormones in the seed, I think, do give it a little bit of a boost. Like you're saying, those first few weeks, they get they have their own nutrition and hormones that are packed within the seed. And I've seen amino it. Like acids. Amino acids as well. And it, it's like one of those things, of, once you've done it enough times, like popped seeds side by side with clones that rooted on like the same day that the seeds were popped, the seeds always catch up and blow by. The, the clone yeah they toss them like they're staying yeah still. it's like i remember well, people used to say that like if you do it with clones you save two weeks but like yeah on day one it looks like you've saved two weeks but like on day 21 they're the same size practically and and yeah they're growing right past them i got a question doc so you know the stem goes into the ground and there's a thick root, thicker than all the other, that one main root that goes from the stem, from a seed into the ground. The radical. Uh, Initially, like when it's a sprout? It's still bigger. That that root is bigger the whole entire life of the plant. It's more, it's gotta be called a primary root or something. It's not like they're all the same roots when they come out of the plant. There's different types of roots, right? Like there's a water, quote unquote, like water roots are different than when you're growing it into a soil. Like they get more fish bony type roots when it's in a dwc setup the, the fibrous roots then when they're growing i mean all soil, taxonomy do we have to have the taxonomy uh, uh statement again like we as humans are putting like qualifiers on things that we observe so yeah there's going to be some gradations but yeah like yeah that, that one that radical root is older that first, right? that first root radical is, root is what it's called is what you're saying yeah right? radical it's a radical the radical is really the the growth tip right at the end of the root. Just the tip, yeah. The radical is the tip of the root, not the whole. Not the whole. Yeah. Thing. Right. But but I, I agree with Tao just from the phenomenon of like when you harvest, you look down and you see that giant ass fucking thick ass yeah, root every like time, and then a bunch like of a other ones shoot doc, off. So I don't know. Oh, dude, you guys, do a careful excavation next time, like of your plants. Like really dig in there. I, yeah, you'll get some roots that are sort of more like three quarters of a centimeter or something that are right around the base of the plant but there's a whole mess of them and then they all sort of branch out into much thinner fibrous roots so there isn't one but i mean i don't know check out just like google taproot versus um fibrous roots in plants because those are like the two common types of roots and see which one looks more it's like cannabis root. Roots, cannabis root structures but yeah definitely from definitely bigger different. roots and if you cut some of those bigger roots too you're going to hurt the plant and you're going to stump the plant if you just sort of cut or injure some of the peripheral roots you're not really gonna you know stump the plant at all I have a photo from Google that oh, I've seen of fibrous roots versus top demonstrated. Roots. This is cannabis in particular, clone versus seed. Uh, I'll try and make it a little bit larger here if I can. But you see over here, again, this is just off some random cannabis forum, but you can see the clone on the left and kind of what Tao was describing, where you've got that thick white part of the, and this is even with a clone. The, and I would just say that's like underground stock, not actually root. Right, but in the in there, there is a more pronounced sort of dominant root that comes down. 
Um, yeah, I would almost call that on the right-hand side a, a taproot. That's not very typical for the way that cannabis seed plants grow, though. So That's how like every excavation I've ever done in all of my harvests have looked. Like every single uh, with I, one I do dominant because, vertical one, like one main carrot looking root, and then a bunch of fucking other side roots that break off or die in the soil within a few days of the harvest versus the one when I pull it out, you can see from the stalk all the way down to the bottom of the earth box, a giant ass thick root, like you're seeing on the right side right here. I should start taking more pictures, but like I have videos of me taking the uh, root ball and like banging it in my trash can and you see all of the perlite and stuff start to uh, fall off and then eventually you'll start to see like the wispier roots and those start to snap but eventually you get to the center and you've got this big thick what i, I used to call a taproot i'm probably miss that is i mean that what we're looking at is would be a taproot if you could just google that jack and you'd probably find the picture of just like taproot versus fibrous root um not with cannabis but just in general and most dicotyledon plants grow top roots. Um, cannabis tends to grow a much more fibrous root structure. But again, there's some examples of it, which we just saw, which is a, a very sort of more onto the top root side of that, if it's a continuum. Um, I think that diagram you showed is trying to exaggerate the difference. This is showing there's some diagrams of uh, tap roots versus fibrous roots and what the uh, plants above ground and below ground look like and things like that. But right yeah. now, so compare that to your standard DWC grower, um, which is the easiest way to really identify the root structure. They they're pulling up a whole mass of finer fibrous roots, not one dominant top root with sort of side branching off of that. But yeah, because that's not the normal way a plant grows in the soil. When it grows through the dirt, it has to tunnel through the dirt. That's why it's not making a super tap root. I think back. Oh no, both both. I mean, both styles of roots are common in plants that actually grow in the in the dirt. There's not sort of like one is allowed to grow in the dirt and the other's not. No, no, I understand. But like when monocots tend to have fibrous root systems. So like, you know, grasses and stuff don't have uh, a dominant taproot that ever, regardless of sort of what, what soil they're growing. And they have some of them, the toughest root systems too. I just have one more that I wanted to show real quick which was the uh, root comparisons. This is a superior hemp clones and they're comparing their hemp clones versus their hemp seeds. Um, I lost the image that I was actually referencing. <laughs> Here we go. This is the one. And I believe that they, okay, with all the dirt washed away, you can get a better look at the root structures, hemp roots exposed. And I believe that the uh, seeds are on the right and the clones are on the left. But this looks a lot less like the other one where there's a pronounced. Yeah, go down to the next picture. What is that of? Because that looks like how the, how a lot of the roots tend to grow, where there's some thicker roots right at the top, but they all quickly branch out into thinner roots. Yeah, they also thin, right? So they, they start yeah, large. And the, and the bottom ones. So in none of those, 
those are hemp clones. Those are hemp seedlings. The seedlings, you can see just a tiny bit more of the thick white portion yeah. before it starts to get all spindly and kind of like a, a angel hair pasta where the clone is just like angel hair pasta, essentially from the base of the cut. It's hard to see because then and there's different sort of quantities of root mass on those two, on the two sets of plants. But like if you go, yeah, so this I one right describe here. That, like I would almost say that the clone uses the stem from the cutting as the taproot. Yeah. It's almost what yeah. that looks like. Yeah, that's a good Because like this white, this white section here, yeah, on the left, um, like that's, I mean, is it root tissue? I guess so. But like, is it doing anything different? Um, and also right. how, an much, how much influence is it really uh, having? That is what, a, you know, a taproot would tend to be. Um, the taproot well, is... I'll say this. Clones, taproot is the source of all the other roots, though. All the secondary roots grow off of that one main taproot. Right. And it's a stability thing because it goes deeper. Because look at how much this, even if it's one inch deeper, if it's yeah. a 10-inch tall plant, one inch is, you know, 10%. So if it goes down one inch deeper and then all the roots connect to that same thing, which is essentially a stalk, that runs deeper into the ground from what i understand field growers like seeds because they have wind resistance they're less needed to be staked up uh, and so they can just and they can also drill press them they can go out without manual hand labor and use a, a machine that plants it into the ground so seeds have lots of benefits for commercial cultivation and growing yeah. outdoors or in greenhouses or fields that are additional or aside to this particular conversation but that might be part of why the reason that they do better outdoors potentially from the early start. I think seeds have a lot of advantages, uh, primarily in terms of the vigor that we were talking about earlier, but their big disadvantage still is the consistency. And so clones win, I think, primarily because of the consistency. Not for now, for sure. Reasons. But I, I don't think there's as big of a difference between the roots as some people think. Um, yeah, this has a pretty good set of data right here. I mean, we've got the maximum root length from 16 inches to 18.25 for seedlings. Clones are 15 to 19. So similar ranges. It's even got like the thickness of the stems at the uh, soil level down to the uh, micron. So that's pretty interesting information to see. Although I don't think that they're presenting any significant differences between the two um, from what I've seen so far. I'd be curious to see more um, with regards to this. Also for like um, for like field hemp for things other than smoking, right? That'd be kind of interesting to see. Oh, here we go. This is a cool picture. We've got some weights of dry weight, number of roots from the main stem. I mean, this is a pretty detailed study. Shout out to uh, North Carolina Farms, Inc. for yeah, publishing okay. and sharing this. And it's very illustrative uh, there you can you can identify which is which but yeah the the fundamental difference between them is pretty small i think it's interesting though that there is the indeed a difference mass, like a, most of the root mass is is peripheral roots so the difference can i put my right my there. two cents in it yeah of course i think that the root mass and the structure of the roots is going to be highly dependent on nutrition early on uh, most crops, uh, commercial crop for commercial prop, crop production, they put on pretty heavy um, uh, um, uh, nitrogen source and phosphorus. <laughs> phosphorus, they typically load up pretty heavy, even heavier than the nitrogen, and that's to help uh, exacerbate root growth and help with 
for root structure. The idea behind that is if we have more root mass, we have a greater surface area for the diffusion and for mass flow to happen. And then also um, minerals like copper, which are strictly taken up through root inception, uh, can be easily taken up uh, when you have those additions of those fertilizers because you're increasing biomass. And if you're, you know, driving roots through soil, <coughs> that's the only way you're going to get some of those nutrients. So it's important to make sure that one, the nutrients there at the right time, but that has a big, big part uh, of it, in my opinion. <laughs> Before I, yeah, um, I, oh, sorry, go ahead, Matthew. First. Oh, okay. I was just going to say that, yeah, I, I kind of get the impression that I'd be curious to read more studies that might go into this more, but I feel like it's probably not the case that there's going to, and I put this in the chat too, that there's not like an, like, ontogenetic difference. Like, I don't think that we're getting like a, like a functional difference uh, between the roots. Like, like Dr. Coco said, like a lot of those fibrous roots are coming out of that radical you know at the beginning so it's like it's kind of functionally similar i feel like or or, or at least not different um, to agree with you i mean the researchers even pointed out in their conclusion and this is for those that are listening on the podcast afterward because i know that the youtube people can probably read this for themselves at this point but if it's too small it says uh in the conclusion there's no doubt that root structures between hemp plants grown from seeds and cuttings are different but this preliminary test is just not conclusive enough to say that a seedling's root system is superior over that of clones. It's a test that warrants further tests. So, I mean, like any good science, they admit they should do more science. And then as a clone producer, though I've been impressed by the quality of our root systems, I'm confident in their ability to provide stable blah, blah, blah. This is kind of marketing jargon. But essentially, <laughs> you know, as a clone producer, maybe we should take it with a little bit of a grain of salt, grain um, of salt to demonstrate yeah. that there is differences. But as Doc and many others have sort of alluded to, although they might be different, is it big enough to make a difference? You be the judge. Slight physical difference, sure. Functional difference, you know, a little different of a question. I, I do recognize that aesthetically. I mean, probably not. In, in terms of actual practice, there's nothing that we do with seedlings that like we can't do with clones. People ask me that a lot, like. <laughs> You know, our mother's better from seed or from clone, like most mothers are from clone because we're keeping genetics alive for one reason or another. Um, but you can certainly grow mothers from seeds. You can do production plants either way. There's some differences, but really the differences are more in terms of like, you know what you're going to get with clones, but they're a little bit slower out of the gate than seeds and, and things like that um and the the symmetry of seedlings versus the asymmetry of clones in terms of training and there's like i'll say this there's no like uh lab tests that have been like oh seed plants grow x amount cannabinoids more or x amount terpenes more otherwise people would be like oh i'm only going to grow seeds or i'm only going to grow clones the reason yeah. we're growing clones right now is for the consistency of the genetic expression like Dude, that kind of alluded yeah. to before we don't have that with uh cannabis breeding currently most breeders are not breeding stable stuff from seed so you have to grow a clone if you want that chance at a consistent result even if you get a good clone if you don't have consistent production you're not gonna have consistent results so that's something to consider a lot of people get a clone and they're like oh that shit was fire the first time and then the second time it's like not as good or different so they're like what the fuck changed it's like well you didn't do the same recipe or you didn't test your soil or you didn't test your inputs so 
you have to sort of have a consistent enough production that you can create something that's fire over and over and over again, which is, I think, often under addressed. People just assume, oh, I got the clone. It's going to be the same thing year after year, grow after grow. And it's not. Same time, there's a huge advantage, I think, to seed production, especially when you get to really large scale, like you kind of mentioned before. You know, it's way easier to plant seeds and clones at large, at large scale and like out in the field. You know, there's already yeah, it depends on if it. you're able to tolerate harvest variability. So that's one of the things that a large a lot of large scale farmers are concerned about. They want to be able to harvest their crop at once. Um, and it depends on how variable that is from seeds. What do you think, Spartan? Yeah, I, I, I suppose that could be true. But man, I've seen fields and fields and fields of hemp that they didn't give a damn that some was tall, some was short. Someone's right body. well it depends on what you're harvesting it for <laughs> right, if you're right harvesting it for like you know flour um then you want to try to have everything lined up um i think the other thing the huge thing especially with the the way the market is now is there's a there's a i can't say it's a it's definitely not bulletproof but there's an ipm advantage i'll put it that way there's an ipm advantage um uh, from starting a crop from seed like for example, if I were to consult a person who was um, going to start a grow, I would recommend they either, if they're going to use a clone, they'd have to have it lab tested for all, all of the things, um, which can get a bit really pricey, or they could start by seed and roll the dice and uh, still be pretty, pretty well off, I think, and then just do their own pheno hunt and then select from that. So I've only seen like 10% percent saying hop latent viroid from seed. So you've got like a 90% plus roughly yeah, chance to it's not like... have an issue starting, whether it's a pest, whether it's hop latent viroid or some sort of pesticide that got sprayed on it generations ago, that's still systemic or systemically in there. And I agree with everything Spartan just said with, with, from the testing and uh, starting from seed for all those reasons. Yeah. We do have a few questions, um, unless anybody has more thoughts on the past discussion that I want to kind of hit before we send the link out because when people start coming in, it becomes more of a show the grow and chat with the uh, guests. So we've got a question from growing my life away. 918 recently started using a SIP container. I will need to take all the soil out every time and mix dry amendments. Oh, they say, will I need to take all the soil out every time and mix dry amendments? I'll answer that quick and simply and say, no, you can just top dress. Uh, I like to transplant in. So I'll take roughly whatever my veg container is, size pot of soil out of the earth box. And then I transplant that, you know, one to two gallon plant into the earth box and I'll top dress my dry amendments and uh, scratch them in. And that's been working just fine over the past two or three years. I've got a specific amount that I put back in each run. It's small, but just to ensure that I have enough, I should probably do soil testing, but it's one of those uh, expenses and time commitments that I haven't made yet because I've been having good results, kind of grow after grow. Uh, if and when I run into issues, then maybe I'll start going more in the uh, take everything out and reamend it to a specific recipe based on a test result. But for now, I just, uh, yeah, I transplant in a good chunk because I'm doing two plants. So it's roughly four gallons of soil that's fresh, mixed each run from veg going into the flower. And then on top of that, I'll shout out Spartan Grown because I've been using his recipe that I've got handwritten somewhere that I ended up typing out because I send it to people so often. But uh, same recipe I've been using for the last few years and it's been working wonders. Lots of uh, Bokashi Earthworks and Build-A-Soil stuff in there. 
what's cool about that kind of growing it's my kind of growing is um you can experiment with whatever you want and what's really cool with dry amendments is is they last a really long time on the shelf right so you can get a good deal if you get it in bulk and then it can sit on the shelf and then a year later you can be like i'm wanting i'm ready to spend some money on my grow <laughs> and you can buy some other dry amendment that will last you for two years or something ridiculous and you can experiment with that uh with that as a different input if you'd like i like for example the same way i i use cannabis as medicine by trying to get a wide range of cannabinoids i do the same thing with like sources of a certain for me especially is uh calcium i like because there's so many different sources you can grab a lot of different shell products or crab or lobster or clam shell or then you can get down into the stones for like limestone and gypsum of course is a big one so there's just so many different so i like to every amendment i like to add a different source of that if i can just i don't know because i'm keeping that soil in there i think it's nice to to have that variety in the soil i think that's a great point and one thing i didn't mention was um I tried to go with kind of a Brandon Rust percentage between 33 and like 40% aeration in my soil mix. So when I do reamend and top dress, because soil has a tendency to become clay-like over time and the roots don't want to grow into that kind of, I don't know if it's clay is the exact proper term, but it kind of gets a lot of muddier, thicker, you know, less porous. The media density increases is what you're talking about. Yes. So the media density increases kind of year after year, grow after grow. And if you don't counteract that, then it's going to become really compact and really difficult for the roots to grow from, like I'm saying, I have a two gallon, you know, transplant in, and then it's got, you know, another six or eight gallons that it can grow into. But if I never did anything to sort of treat and condition the rest of that soil over time, the aeration is going to the pumice, I would say is pretty solid, not going to really go too far, but I use rice hulls for some of it. So I'm always adding rice hulls back in on the top. That's my mulch layer, but it's also a portion of my aeration. So I kind of grind and, and mix it in there to allow a little bit more uh, fluffy, air, airy space for the roots to have an easier time to grow through versus uh, some of the harder pockets. And I feel like as long as you prevent that compaction from happening, you don't necessarily have to take the uh, soil out of the earth boxes. Although Smiley's Garden over in Michigan, he's been using them for many years. And I think every so often he'll pull them out and kind of like beat it up and remix it, reamend it, and then go from there, which is possible. But um, there's also that group in Michigan that I like to spotlight. He's a former UFC fighter, uh, Green, I think Greenpoint Gardens or Green Source Gardens or something. Um, cool dude, but they're on like their like 40th run in their soil and they just keep reamending it and using it over and over and over. And lab tests are great. Uh, flower looks good from all the reports all the other people I know out there smoking it it turns out great so if you can get away without having to do the extra labor allow the biology a huge piece for me is I use Bokashi Earthworks Bokashi and Micro Plus and not just to you know plug Brandon's stuff because he's here like I actually use that and I believe with organics it's important to have a high quality consistent source of microbes because they're only going to be there in my opinion for a few days to a week and unless you're reapplying, um, other stuff's going to creep in and maybe take over in different populations. And maybe when you apply it, not all of it takes, but I think giving yourself the best chance to have stuff that is known to scientifically shown to break down. Uh, I can give it, I can available. give you like the, the, the like overview of why it's important, right? Because 
soil populations naturally fluctuate in, in the system, depending on hydrology and the oxygen content of the media. It also is pH dependent. It also dependent on temperature and relative humidity, and then also food source. So what types of um, uh, organic sources of carbon are available. Uh, and so when you're using a microbial inoculant, like what, with what I have, where you're introducing a, a large amount of carbohydrate, they're converting all that carbohydrate through the second through their metabolism and they're releasing a bunch of different types of beneficial compounds like lactic acid and acetic acid and citrate and folic acid and they're also producing beneficial compounds like biofilms that will help free living soil microorganisms those biofilms will protect protect the nitri the nitrogenase enzyme that they produce that helps with nitrogen fixation. That bioslime will help it from ox help those microorganisms from. Uh, it's funny that's the same stuff that clogs up your water lines, but it can be beneficial if it's in the right place, like in a soil. Yeah, so there's a lot of stuff going on, but what you're essentially doing is you're like for a short period of time you're introducing all that into the soil, right? And so you're adding all those enzymes, those phytohormones, and the increase in those microorganisms and the introduction of that organic carbon has multiple uh, stimulating effect on that, on that system, right? So you're gonna help solubilize certain minerals like phosphorus. You're gonna liberate the phosphate ion from the parent appetite material in that soil because you have a bunch of organic acids that are able to do that, phosphatase, things of that nature. <clears throat> and then you're gonna have take, you know, a bunch of good guys that are in there that are like considered probiotic that are just aiding in, you know. It's great stuff for sure. And I want to get to Lord Blueberry's question real quick before we uh, open up the panel to uh, some guests. And we've got one other question after him as well. So Lord Blueberry asks a quick one, and I guess we can kind of just all go around the horn and give our answer uh, or answers, because I know it's sometimes hard to pick just one strain. They said, would love to hear the panel's recommendations for a great nighttime pain relief strain. Um, I'll throw three of my favorites out there. Uh, cherry pie, number one for me, helps me sleep really well and a good pain reliever uh two i'd say gg4 and three uh donnie burger so those are my big three and i'll pass it to uh spartan grown next all right well you picked two of mine right there gg4 and donnie so i'm gonna just echo those because those are still my picks so gg4 donnie burger are, are two big ones and then i would say for me personally mac one it not only does it have some pain relief and like sedative effects, it, it does just that. It puts me to sleep and keeps me asleep, which I usually need. So that's the one I would say. Or the three. What about you, Noah? Well, GG4 for sure. Uh, I kind of like uh, a lot of the cookie stuff is kind of cherry pie-ish when you look back into it but uh i kind of like different cookie crosses dosi dose is pretty good um, yeah those are the two I, I don't even know about the third one those are the two i'd go with 
Mendo Breath is a cookie cookie cross set. It's kind of like that for me. And there's definitely cookies have that similar. I think cherry pie lineage is definitely related. And there's multiple cherry pies, but it's usually good stuff for nighttime. Doc, what about you? You're muted. Still muted. I'm muted. I never mute myself with that button, so I didn't know I wasn't aware of that. Oh, what is the topic? What are we talking about? What is your recommended strains for uh, pain relief and nighttime use? For pain relief and nighttime use. Okay. Um, gosh, like a nice, strong, quote unquote, indica strain. Like I, I or I mean, I guess just my favorites. I like, I really like blueberry, a nice, strong blueberry um, is great for a lot of those things. Um, and I really like my... My Girl Scout cookies crossed with green crack, not for sleeping necessarily, but for um, kind of my body feels better type of a, of a situation. So kind of pain relief. Um, but no, not, not, not for sleeping. For sleeping, it would be something more like the blueberry. And blueberry is a great one. one. Uh, you don't have to have a third. I just threw three out because it's hard for me to pick one ever, you know, and, and there's, I think if you can throw out three, it's good because so many listeners might not have access to cherry pie, but they might have blueberry. The, the have access to only variety of Skywalker OG that's available here in SoCal um, is like really good for, for pain relief and for uh, nighttime uses. So that'd be my third. I want to shout out Stangman and Jay. He brings up uh, Granddaddy Purple, which is also a very good one for pain. That's been running around the caregiver circle up here in Michigan for that very reason. So yeah, that's another one. Good, good recommendation, Stangman. Velvet Punch is a lot like there's some phenos that are almost dead ringer. My wife was like one one of the batches. She's like, this smells just like GDP. <laughs> which was kind of funny because uh, it fucking sure as hell did. And it's one of the grandparent genetics because Purple Punch is the mother and GDP's uh, the mother of Purple Punch. It's Granddaddy Purple across the Larry OG. So going all the way back, definitely uh, echo that recommendation and the blueberry as well. Great, great choices there. Uh, how about you, Tao? Uh, I don't know. Well, it's all good to me, but if I was in pain, I'd eat a cookie. If I was in a lot of pain, I'd eat two cookies and I would not be in pain anymore. So that's my advice to anyone in pain. <laughs> yeah, I think edibles that's or RSO are more potent route. But I it, kind it, of agree it, with this. It's good to uh, give those options though as well. Uh, you know, because I think certain people might not be able to have access to the strains that we're recommending and then making yourself an edible is going to last longer. Usually for pain, like people are trying to sleep, like we're talking about nighttime use, uh, take a nice heavy dose two hours before bed. You'll be probably feeling great and sleeping well. Edibles affect me in really different. I mean, the only reliable effect I get from edibles is if I do enough of them, they'll make me tired. It's um, definitely so yeah. Other than that though, like I, I never get to catch a good sort of like, buzz off of edibles i just get tired have you tried yeah, rso have you that? heard of my personal lord and savior rso <laughs> we have it's, <laughs> yeah. a, wonderful, it's a wonderful religion yeah 
caveat is yeah, edible. It's probably mental. It's also probably the fact that I'm I'm usually already pretty high, so like it's hard to parse like what exactly is is getting me high. What is what? Yeah. Yeah, and we have this strong, you know, confirmation bias that when we think something about something, like you know, I'll attribute to whatever I am to like stuff I smoked previously, probably instead of to whatever edible I have. Like I don't I don't shy away from edibles. I just it like whether or not it has cannabis infused, it really doesn't seem to like make a difference when I'm eating it. They're um, harder to again, gauge it's if in the smoke. context usually of pretty heavy cannabis use. So yeah, when you're smoking like that, it's much harder to gauge. Like especially for me, a good healthy dose is 500 to a thousand milligrams. So yeah. if I eat something that's a hundred milligrams or less, like I barely feel it at all. So when it hits me two hours later, it's like as I'm smoking, like maybe I'm just a little bit higher than I would be had I not drank that drink or eaten that on a on a trip where I was going to be with people and I couldn't I couldn't smoke and it was just not going to be convenient and I was traveling and this was years ago and I brought a bunch of like really powerful edibles that I got at the dispensary like the the most powerful edibles that they had and um yeah but you said you got a dispensary I know I did not make them myself but homemade might do it I it's not like I don't make my own edibles. I mean, it's all, you know, eat this stuff. So, um, no, but that was just the only time I had used edibles without sort of also smoking. And I was just really disappointed. <laughs> like, this sucks, man. I wish I had something to smoke. Uh, I've had edibles where it, I was, I was literally like, uh, unable to function proper for sure for a short time. So, yeah. I think yeah, it just affects people, people different. differently based yeah. on metabolism and other factors. Um, so many factors when someone eats an edible that, like, yeah, one must be careful and uh, titrate. Is that what they call it? Yeah. Yeah. Take small doses and build up so that you understand your uh, tolerance levels and how much that edible might up- in- impact you. Because, like I said, 500 milligrams is my regular dose, but I've taken 500 milligram things that didn't get me high at all because maybe they used like distillate versus RSO. And I think that distillate high in an edible is way different than a full spectrum high. And so there's those variations and like a brownie is going to hit you different than a gummy is going to hit you different than a drink. So what it's in is all, and, and like your personal, like Eagle Gardens has a theory that I personally kind of like, and it's that if you have like a serious injury or a medical ailment and you take an edible, you might not feel as high because the edible is treating the pain it's actually helping you feel better. And so it's going to dedicate to that. And I I don't know if there's any real scientific proof to that, but I I feel like, I don't know, maybe it could be just because you're so much more focused on the relief of like getting, like it's getting processed almost like there's like a, like an electrical current resistance kind of thing going on. Like you don't get high, you get unpained is kind of the idea. Right. There's so much sort of oomph in the tank and you can spend it on one thing or the other, but you spent it in this case on. I have anecdotal evidence of that. My buddy who would eat cookies, he's like, I can't eat them cookies. They fuck me up too much. He broke it. He injured his ankle bad. And I'm like, dude, man, you should eat a cookie. So he ate one and uh, he didn't get as, as uh, warped as he usually did. Uh, but yeah, I'm afraid I, I I'm guilty. I scared. I must scared off like 10, 20 people off of eating edibles. Cause <laughs> I get the whole cookie. I told them don't eat the whole thing, and they eat the whole thing, and then they're like, "Yeah, yep. I'll never do it 
Yeah, that way too high. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I started making them this big. <laughs> I, I started making them that big and saying, "Don't eat the whole thing," and they still eat the whole thing. That's the problem when you of make course. it too small. They eat the whole thing because it's like bite sized. So That's, yeah, you can't win. People got to learn on their own, so you can only warn People them. People got to learn on their yes. <laughs> Sometimes they they put the uh, the token in and they got to ride that ride. So yeah, that is what it is. <laughs> I will say though that uh, on the on the point of like sleeping and pain, I, I'm gonna also agree with uh, Brian in the chat and a few other people that like like Tao. Uh, maybe just get different kinds of pain, or in general, I I actually tried, especially after like years ago, uh, learning about how like the body deals with pain and how uh, you know you can take pain medication and things like that. But there are other like inflammation is not a bad thing, right? Like not when you're using it to fight other problems. It's a natural it's process to heal. that it goes through. Yeah, exactly. So like I kind of don't want to take uh, something for pain unless it's like a chronic pain problem or I'm like in recovery and it's distracting me and that kind of stuff. Um, psychology affects pain. There was a good TED talk about this guy. He broke his you know sister's arm one week they were playing around. And then like later that week, he knocked her out of the bunk bed. And he knew he was going to get in deep shit if the parents heard her start crying. And she landed on her arms and knees, like all fours hit at the same time. And before she like took a deep breath in to scream. And before she started screaming, he goes, wait, you know, Susie or whatever her name was. He's like, uh, no, she was a child. But it's like the only way you could have landed on all fours is like that is if you were a unicorn. So it's confirmed. You must be a unicorn and like took her mind off the pain. And some of the psychology of it, like when a kid falls, if you go, oh, oh my God, they freak out. But if you say oh, like sure. safe, sure. like they're sliding into a base, they're like, oh, you bounced. They're like, look how far you slid. And just like walk up and like, hey, buddy, let's get back up. Rub it off. You're going to be all right. You know, like if they're not seriously injured, like they didn't break a bone or like start bleeding somewhere, you know, you got to take care of it if there's an actual injury. But it's there is like a psychological pain. You on the arm and you say, ow, before you realize that it didn't actually hurt. Right. Just oh, like, yeah. Right. Or even just like you're emotional because yeah. maybe you got dumped and like that pain physically, like you feel it in your body. Because Absolutely. emotions have a connection to our physical body. They, they show Absolutely. up and like people get knots and sometimes people will get like massages and start crying when they get the knot. No, I think that's really the answer to why when you have the injury like that, the cannabis affects you differently. Like your body chemistry is just sort of different because you're dealing with this injury and you're in maybe a slightly alert state or even a slightly shocked state, depending on how close you are to the actual injury. Um, and, and yeah, you know, mood altering drugs like cannabis are absolutely going to affect you differently depending on what your mood is going in. You're this, uh, you're this, there's this broth of, you know, not just, but part of you is this broth of, uh, chemicals going around your body. And that's a good point. I was just going to say, like, uh, I had a conversation with a friend of mine, coworker for a while. Um, uh, he used to do, uh, he used to do a lot of uh, machine work for like um, uh, actually used to work with the uh, military planes and he would like take down, he would like dispose of old ones and things like that. So a lot of like cutting metal and stuff like that. And anyways, like he had like a deep, like a deep pain, like a bone pain or something. I feel like, it, are you going to not feel the pain? I mean, I guess you can get zonked out. Like, I guess that's a, there's a, a gradation to that too, but yeah, I feel like for me, and for a lot of other people, I think the, the benefit is, like you're saying here, Jack, that psychological ability to, like, distract yourself from the pain 
it's not going to like eliminate the pain. And I think, and, and, and since the original question was about like strains and cultivars, which ones work well for this for me, um, it's kind of all the same for the most part, not trying to deny anyone's experience, just that, um, you know, if I want to sleep, I'll, I'll take like, you know, something that'll make me you know sleep. But generally speaking, uh, canvas does not make me sleepy uh, unless it's an edible form. Generally speaking, I usually have the same response, even to things that people are um, very sure are going to be very different for people. And we've talked about at length about why that might not be uh, very accurate. But yeah, like not only for pain, but also for sleep, it's kind of like, I just need to reach a level of like abnegation and then I'm good to go. I think it's mainly because, you know, THC is the primary drug that's in the most of the cannabis that we use. It, it might be 30% THC and like one to 6% terpenes or some other minor cannabinoids, flavonoids, et cetera. But THC is the majority of the ride that we're taking. And THC is part of the CB1 uh, receptors, I believe in the body. And so if you look at, they've, diagrammed the body where our cb1 receptors it's pretty much from your head to your toe like all over your body and so in like the case of an injury like we're talking about like the cocktail i think when you use that thc um maybe it's allocating itself and stimulating different receptors in those inflamed areas because you know it is known to lower inflammation in the right doses and so it's uh i think that it's fascinating it's sometimes called like a dirty drug because it has so many different effects um, as opposed to like a specific drug that targets one in particular thing, THC affects a lot of different systems in our body. So I think that it's really interesting how like Tao could give the same guy cookies over and over again. And, uh, when he's injured, it'll impact him differently. And we kind of talked about the cocktail of hormones and stuff that your body's going through with the injury and heart rates and all that other stuff. But I want to welcome in the dog doctor real quick and just say hello. And before we do garden tours, we've got a few more questions. So dog doctor, you can hang with us while we answer these. And actually I wanted to, uh, after you introduce yourself, ask Brandon about the uh, strings before that time question there, if he didn't answer it already. Cheers, dog doctor. Hi guys. Thank you. Thank you for letting me introduce. I'm dog doctor. I love everybody. Hope everybody's doing well. I have a question also, but don't do those, that, those ones because mine I can show you and I can question and it's easier to do that after. Thank Perfect. you for letting me introduce you. Girls love everybody. Okay. Good to have you back. Brandon, uh, what, what are your thoughts? You guys, you guys already mentioned it. Um, mine would be a, a, sol a solventless RSO. So what that is, is basically full spectrum uh, bubble hash that's pressed. Like it's all the bag. It's not separated out because, you know, if you're trying to get really fine, high quality hash, you're usually only doing between a certain micron. But this is full spectrum. And then um, instead, there's an additional process after it's pressed. And what you do is you jar it up and you let it crash out um, at, you know, I, I don't know, maybe around like 145 or 150 degrees until it just crashes into oil. And then that's like a solventless RSO. Uh, it tastes way better than the alcohol or uh derived rso and i feel like the effect is a lot better so, too in my do opinion you ever yeah. do you ever get it high enough to decarb or no yeah it it it's okay. decarbed yeah so it's active it's very active it's for so long active. enough decarbs yeah 
Yeah, that's fine. Um, it it crashes out. The rosin crashes out into a, just an oil. But that's like over um, hours, right? You throw it in a jar, that rosin. Yeah. On heat over like a day or two days. They're like, yeah, it takes you can a make while. diamonds doing stuff like that as well. You it can. Might start... Yeah. You just have to wait until like all the waxes and the fats, anything else that's have just kind of homogenized into one consistent fluid is what it looks like. Um, I got a, a friend that makes that and it is for, for me, it, if like, if I'm really having like pain, or if I'm having trouble sleeping, that's what I would use. Dog doctor, any uh, suggestions from you on strains for pain or nighttime sleep, et cetera? With me, only RSO works. All the rest can put, I mean, some put me to couch, but not to sleep. Uh, they ground me to the couch. I don't I don't feel like doing much, but uh, if I go to sleep, my head is still going a thousand miles an hour. And the rest just uh, put me working, most of it. When I really want to sleep or when I really am in pain, the only thing that, not even edib edibles, edibles, it's, it's like doctor was saying, just put me higher when I smoke joints and things. I need to eat a lot for it to actually make me tremble my body and go to sleep or something. I think um, I'm pretty similar there. Yeah. Uh, heavy RSO, like a nice big dose, is going to be more effective yeah. than I think most strains. I'll, I'll throw another one out there that I forgot earlier Deadhead OG. Shout out to the Cali connection. Uh, I covered that in 50 strains of green because that was one of the first ones that I smoked. And every time within 30 minutes, I was literally in bed asleep. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I bought a eighth of it and I went back to the place that carried it. This is the Prop 215 era. And I bought like all that they had left. It was like an ounce and a half or two ounces. And I just like would save it for right before bedtime because I knew like one, maybe two bowls. But after that, I was fucking passed out. And that's, so that's I was Mac like, for me, Mac usually does that to me. GMO, we didn't mention that one. That's not a good one. Yeah, that's, I mean, a big part of the Donnie Burger Donnie backbone, Burger. right? But that's yeah. a great, it's high potency. I prefer the Donnie Burgers. I think the OG like spices it up, gives it a little extra, but yeah. GMO is good as well. I want to, oh, I also wanted to, Matthew brought up a good point. He, he kind of went over it a little bit fast and I just wanted to highlight it because it was one of the things that I always told to all my patients every time I did a con consult with them and I, I never promised that cannabis was going to eliminate their pain ever. Uh, I'd say, you know, give me a, on your, on the classic pain scale, you know, if it's a 10, you know, I can bump it down some notches for you. It's not going to bring it to a zero. It's I'm not promising you that it's going to bring it to a zero. It's like a buffer. It's almost like a distraction from it where it's tolerable and not terrible. And, uh, and sometimes it did bring it to a zero, right? But I, I never overpromised anything, um, because I think that's a big thing that people, when they, when they try uh, RSO or something like that, and they see results, they think it's a, you know, it's going to cure everything. It's not exactly that way. Um, for a lot of people, they're dealing with some really more serious issues, like nerve pain. I find to be a hard one to deal with with cannabis. Even opiates, I have a hard time treating that. Yeah. So there's there's things that it's not going to you know cure everything, but um, there is hope in that at least it can alleviate some of the pain. It might not go to a zero. I agree with that, and I would say if it does go to a zero, um, hopefully the issue that was causing the pain is treated. Because one of the things that I feel is problematic about certain high potency opioids or other pain relievers that make you not feel any level of pain is you can re-injure yourself or injure yourself worse because you think, oh, I'm all better. And then you start going about your day-to-day -day activities and you think, oh, my knee or my back or my shoulder, elbow, whatever it is, is fine. 
and then you go to lift something up and then pop. And then it's now you've got, you know, instead of a little bit of a sore, you've got like six months in a brace or you got you know, another, a wheelchair yeah. or crutches. And you're talking about big money and hospital bills and long-term healing, not uh, yes. short-term rest and relaxation. Sometimes it's good to we're hard on ourselves as gardeners. I, we expect to be there every day in the garden and we expect to never miss a, a watering and, and take care of those plants. But at the end of the day, you got to take care of yourself and your body and, and health as well. Like really preventing that as much as you can is, is absolutely important in the pain discussion. I think it's uh, important to mention that. Sorry, go ahead. Tom. Yeah, when I was a kid, I heard a discussion on pain and they're like, pain is good. If you don't have pain, then you don't know something's wrong with you. So like the kids that, that can't pain. feel pain. Very true. Yeah, very true. No, yeah. So those kids that can't feel pain bite their fingers yeah. off or slam their hands indoors or fall downstairs and stuff them and them. they don't report injuries and they end up dying younger because they you literally don't know when things are wrong. So it is kind of a crucial uh, sensation for humans to survive. It's an evolution thing. Yeah, it's like you put your hand on a hot stove, you learn real fucking quick not to uh, <laughs> exactly. touch that hot thing again. You burn yourself and you're like, oh, wow, that actually like left the mark and it hurt real bad for quite a while. And if you don't learn, you'll learn the next time. <laughs> this is a big thing with arthritis and other inflammatory diseases in particular. Like if you just mask the pain, you will continue to do damage to your joints when they're inflamed. They're doing damage to the, the joints. Um, taking an anti-inflammatory, actually reducing the inflammation can, can help you feel better and prevent that pain. But just taking painkillers can, can certainly cause much bigger problems. That's well, that's where it happens to a lot of athletes too. They, they injure themselves in some way and they just shoot themselves up with a bunch of painkillers to be able to like finish the, the competition and end up doing a lot of damage because they can't feel what the damage that they're doing. Yeah, cortisone or other sorts of shots have been used yeah. in football and other sports to just send athletes back in, even when injured, knowingly injured, just to play through because they feel it's so important to win X game to get to X mark or whatever. Um, so I do want to knock out these last few questions real quick before uh, we introduce Mr. Caveman here. But Galaxy Solutions asked Dr. MJ Coco a question for you. Uh, for a cheap LED light, do you recommend the Vipar XS1500 Pro? Or a different light, only have one hundred to spend and co go up to one hundred sixty dollars max. If you can recommend one better, is this for a two by two? It didn't say the grow size. So yeah, uh, Galaxy Solutions LLC, if you're out there, please let us know your grow size. But I'm imagining, yeah. you, know, you know, I like the XS fifteen hundred Pro in a two by two. It's got the lenses, and you know, because of that, I think it's hard to get. You, two of them are four by four, but they're really meant for sort of that coverage. So if he's got that coverage area, I think it, it's it's a good light. It's a good price. Um, there's other options at about that price. So I don't think you need to spend 160 or whatever his upper end of his budget was. Uh, yeah, I think 100 bucks can get you a pretty solid light for a small grow space. I have an HLG 100. It, it never used to be that way, but it's an awesome world. You, you youngsters, you young whippersnappers are living in, man. When We're I living the, up, the we good life. To spend all our money on our grow lights, dude. I am now too. Now that we're, <laughs> we're all living in this age, setting up a new grow in my space. Like I got a HLG 100 on Amazon, shipped same day. I ordered at 6 a.m. It showed up like 8 p.m. It was a hundred bucks. It crushes it in veg, and I flowered under there. I've made seeds under there, yeah, and I've flowered under it. In a small enough space, you absolutely can get a, a a really and not just like an acceptable light, but like a good light, like the light that you would want. 
to buy. You don't need to really spend more than that for it's still a, cranking a two two years later. And like I could probably replace it, but like the light would be marginally better. And like I've run it fairly dimmed because I have such a small space. Um, so its efficiency hasn't gotten cranked down too much. But uh one last real quick question before we start showing off caveman and dog doctors grows. Uh Brandon, quick one for you. Uh, what is your best selling product at Bokashi Earthworks? Uh, best selling product is Micro Plus and the Smart Carbon. Very cool. All right. Well, dog say, I was going to say seeds because I don't know. Those sell out quick. <laughs> no, I, I, do sell, I do sell a lot of seeds, but uh, <laughs> sell a lot more Micro Plus. Alrighty, dog doctor. We're looking at some tropical tangy, it appears, yep. and I've got you spotlighted now. Okay. So she is like leaning, but she keeps uh, throwing nuts, but they are kind of dense and the light is going through. So I, I, I'm just living in there. But she grew way too much, dog. Look at this. I had to move the lights. I had to sacrifice this one to the sides, but still it's kind of burn on the top, but one for the rest, the rest is looking okay. I had to bring this light to the side and put just a little 100 watts light there just to keep it more even than anything else. But overall, I'm pretty happy with her. But yeah, she grew way, way bigger than necessary. <clears throat> way, way bigger. But she's dense as fuck. Hmm. and very sticky so going with the flow on this one but yeah she grew a lot <laughs> sometimes a few colas get a little bit ugly but the rest of the harvest is just fine and even the yeah. ones that are a little burnt will probably smoke just fine yeah it's all for me so i'm not selling anything so i don't really mind it's like when they foxtail i just go with the flow now my question if you guys don't mind before i talk about the rest i have this auto flower and I, I'm, I'm changing the dynamics here. This is becoming a, a flower tent. This other will be another flower tent, and I will use the 4x8 as veg tent and um, auto flowers. She's doing aiding. It, I, I'm almost finishing this here, but I have that spice open. If I put her here doing the 12-12 and this K11, will she like uh, feel a lot and uh, will I lose in harvest or it's better to finish her under 18 and then move. It's just that this is getting too big and I kind of want to put the, the scrog net here and uh, I'm doing an experience to on the uh, hotopods to see how they go and now I want to spread all of this through here and so but my question is should, should I wait and then just uh, do gymnastics with the, with the rest or can I just move this out of here and she will be finishing fine? How long what do you think the... you have to wait? How long do, would you have to wait? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. It's the first time, but, but she's quite green still. I'm going to start flushing her soon because I'm already seeing some, some color changing. So... so we're close enough within two weeks. You Three, four weeks yeah. maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah I mean, like it's that. totally a... In my opinion, I don't think it matters. In two weeks, you can do whatever the hell you want with the light cycle, and you'll be okay. I Get kind of agree with Spartan on this one, yeah. I feel like you could... I mean, it's totally a command decision. You could harvest a little earlier. It's also an autoflower, can... so you can always do whatever the hell you want with the light cycle. I mean, you might yeah, lose that's a, a good... tiny oh, yeah, percentage that's right. of yield. 
No, she's another flower, yeah, yeah. So I'm not very concerned for that. The the thing is, she won't stress to the point of making seeds or whatever or things like that, just because I'm changing her from a whole life at 18 hours to 11 hours now. I don't I think they're going to cut her in two weeks. Impact she's anything? Pro- you know, she's not going to have time to do all that. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, perfect. So there we are. If this, I think if she sorry. was going to throw bananas, they'd already be on the plant right now. Um, okay. And like Spartan's mm. saying, it's so late in the process. Maybe you could get a late flower in Anner, but it depends what what is the room that you're going into. Is Are you worried she, about it seeding some other plants? No, she's coming in here. She's almost done. This is a rinse. I think, I, I mean, a couple of days more, maybe not even that. She will be done. And the freak also, she looks So these all done. finish before... Um, I mean, in the next next week, I will harvest this and dry them out. So she will be actually uh, like a week or so, week, week and a half maximum doing 11 hours. Then she will be back in Aiden again, probably to finish. Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't think you have any issues. Just place that space over there. Okay. That, that, that was just my question. Yep, I would, I would so, yeah. uh, do what your gut was. Autos are resilient. Pardon? I said autos are resilient with light cycle stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of new for me. I'm only growing autos for like two years now, and I didn't grow that many. So it's all experiments. Anyways, there's I have a, a buddy who grows there. autos because his power goes out so often that they couldn't grow a photo without Herm issues. But the autos never had issues. Lights going on and off random times a day. Um, they only grew autos for a few years and, and didn't have issues with it. So. I think you'll be fine with like a couple week uh, slight change. Perfect. Thank you. No, is this, this is solo? my type. This is the solo crop, the tiny pots. I talked about this liter, earlier. But it's not even one liter yet. She's growing. Look at those roots, man. Oh. I mean, and when growing, she's growing. Look at this. I mean, that looks about as big as some uh, one gallon plants I've seen. I've seen smaller plants in bigger <laughs> pots, yes. Uh, yeah. I'm curious to grow this gnome on a normal pot and see how big will she be because if she can grow like this. How are you think, How are you fertilizing? I'm uh, doing, uh, she's drinking about uh, half a liter a day. I'm oh, doing nutrient every- solution, so you're fertigating? Yes, yes, I'm for the Yeah, this is kind of the point I was making earlier, exactly. When when you're growing hydroponically like that, you, you can definitely grow bigger plants with smaller root passes. Yeah, like a, a soil plant, I've seen three-gallon pots that plants are smaller than this. This is soil. I'm doing soil on the fabric pots, and I'm doing uh, the up to... Uh, well, hold on, hold on. But hi- your soil That's is a hydroponic grow whether or not it's oh, in a peat based okay, medium okay, or not okay, okay, you. you're, you're delivering nutrients through a fertigation yes, okay. solution even peat most peat mixes are not soils there's not sand silt and clay when you absolutely. get down to the traditional soil lifts absolutely absolutely style of growing. absolutely yep this it's important to know that because a lot of people that they, they grow like that they assume it's soil that. yeah they think that they're growing differently that they're growing in soil but if you're using a peat-based blend and you're beating it with nutrients mixed into the water that's hydroponics that's also soilless hydroponics yeah sand is another good way sorry earlier i was talking about 
the earth boxes, sand is a good way in soil if you're having compaction issues to create a little bit of aeration. Like San Diego notoriously has very sandy soils. They have lots of, when we have rain, we get so many floods I, because they don't soak up any water. Everything just runs I right use, through it. I use sands to grow carrots, not just sand, but I mix sands with my, with my uh, soil so that the soil drains better and that the, and the carrots grow better. Yeah, you could, you can even clone in sand. Johnny Canacy, uh kind of found that from the citrus industry, and we call it the Johnny Tech now, but he just throws a little aloe water and pure sand from Quickcrete at Home Depot. It's like two or five bucks a bag, as cheap as you can get, and he just puts it in little uh, plastic containers and, and if you roots within sand, seven days. And you're actually time. using soil. If you use enough sand, then it's it's no longer soilless because sand is one of the primary components of soil. In an right, yeah, sand, sand, silt, and clay, all right? The yeah, big three, sand, right? silt, and clay. All, and I, I think... all mineral-based substances are what, what is in soil and they have different cation exchange properties with nutrients that are in solution. That's like my soil started off, or it was a soilless mix. It was the Michigan-made mix, it's a peat base. But over time, I've amended it into being a true soil because I've added sand. And I think technically some of the stuff in there would be considered clay at this point, but... um I'm not sure that I have uh, added clays, but I actually, you know what? Um, that's a lie because I did some of the subcool. Uh, it's called like mono uh, something in one of his uh, mono tillerite or something. I can't remember. It was one of his, his last super soil recipes. It had some uh, clay in there. So I've got that as one of my amendments as well. Okay. And I think that um, vermiculite might make it more soil like, but that might also be a soilless thing as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I like perlite. I mean, you could make a real, you could try to make an argument that those are mineral-based substances that should be considered soil, but <laughs> they're always just used as the sort of the aeration element. They're not the primary base. So, you know, it is a, a point. Even those of us that really think that we're growing in, in a soilless media are mixing in oftentimes mineral-based elements. Dog doctor, why do you think these are so droopy? Is it dry, overwatered, uh, underwatered? No, this is me. This, no, this is me with no time and trying to save her. They were completely drew yesterday. I I don't have the space to change them from the tiny pots. Look at it. they are in oh very, yeah, underwatered then. So yeah, underwater. They got thirsty. So they got thirsty. So now I, yesterday I clean it all. I was actually looking at this. This I think she will bounce back. Um, I will change her to a bigger pot and uh, see if they recover. I kind of don't want to lose. This is my run cut, but uh, there was like 45 degrees days in here. And I cannot come here and uh, water. Dude, put that run cut in a bigger pot <laughs> like yeah. today, like transplant it up today. And then <laughs> it'll have a better chance to survive pots. and then get cuts off it in two weeks and make yeah, a that, new, that, better plant. That's the idea. It's to see if she bounces back and then make new cuts for the for the next one. But th th that's you one of the that reasons. Plant. I hear how you talk about it all the time. So yeah, you, you don't want to lose really, that, bro. I don't want to lose this girl. I really don't want it. But uh, yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. She needs a bigger that, pot like a month ago. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the reasons I want to take that one out of there, so that I can uh, put open a little bit space and uh, I want to bring them. Over here also, I need this one to finish. I mean, I don't want to lose this. She's a beauty, man. She's really. You can have more and more crops of that nice runs if you keep her alive, though. 
I think that yeah. the top of the priority for growers out there, if you have something truly special, a cut that means something to you, uh, um, make that the uh, thing that is the uh, priority for sure. These passion fruits, I melt every time I touch it. It's like melting. Yeah. I love the yeah. uh, passion fruit from Runtz. Oh, it's, uh, oh my God. Fantastic. it's fantastic. It's amazing. It's really unique and peculiar. I've only had and that in the pink runs, but it's uh, dark. fire. It's two years of this, I really don't want to lose it. <laughs> so yeah, I'm changing her to the bigger pots. Anything and more that you I'm... want to show us before we check out Caveman's Row? No, 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 please, but my guests, show the man's, show the man's room. Thank you so much, Thank Dog you. Doctor. I'm going to change oh. the spotlight over to the Caveman. I'm the, whoa, nice spotlights. That is a mm-hmm. beautiful green outdoor probably seven eight foot tall by yeah, six or eight that, foot wide that's a bush yeah she's starting she's starting she's gonna be massive buddy are, are you she's gonna get stretching to do what's that it's got a lot are more you stretching gonna... to do yeah you're gonna put any cages on them yeah that's one of my questions no exactly. no they'll yes. hold yourself up all right oh natural no, no, some of these no, big no trees well, they do I'm only asking because we do, have yeah, 75 yeah. mile an hour winds up here. No. So. <laughs> it depends on what you like. Oh, yeah, I get winds, but these are those solid stem plants I was telling you about. These aren't hollow. You can oh, bend nice. these right around like a fishing rod. Hey, cannabis is amazing. From hemp to THC varieties, mm-hmm. it, it can handle fucking crazy windstorms. I've seen it live through hails, I've seen it live through snows. Uh, it's it's yeah. an unbelievable plant at times. Yeah. It's a gunky little one here. They're going to be massive, buddy. What are the genetics, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, these are mine. Oh, wow. Yeah, these these are Old my school. F3s here. These are volunteers. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love that. This is, this is my uh, back cross reversal. This is my S1. And now uh, this is the mother plant. My selection. I think they're like a Northern Lights cross, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, AK male, Northern Lights, number five female. Awesome. Can I ask you a question since you're doing crossings? Sure. So the first the first cross you make, you will produce uh, the, you will pick up the more stable gene or the stronger genes for both plants, and you will reproduce a plant like that. After that, yeah. you will you 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 grab those seeds. You plant them all. Uh, you, you choose two. You cross again, and you get yep. the unicorns on the F twos. I think it's the name. And and then from there is when you start uh, selecting and, and creating. St- uh, it's stable, or you need more for them to start to becoming stable. Well, that depends on what you started with. Exactly. Um, depends on how close related the two crosses are. Okay. Um, for me, I was breeding breeding for like traits i wasn't doing a true hybrid where i was crossing a big sativa with a squat afghan or something uh you know i was pretty much breeding in the same family right when i started that's a fantastic point because dog doctor my purple or not purple punch the velvet punch f1s that i received from doja dna they grew very consistently um i described them all pretty well in my documentation or whatever and then 
I grew the F2s out expecting, like I heard so often, oh, when you get an F2, you're going to start to see all these crazy variations from like the grandparent genetics. That yep. happens when you take like, like he's saying, like a, a tie and cross it to a squat Afghan, and then you get a true F1, and then you take that, right. and then you make a true F2, where you get like the hybrid vigor at F1, and F2, you're going to see a lot more variation. But when you're working with stuff like I am, kind of polyhybrid mutts with chem, cookies, uh, OG, and Purple Punch all rolled into one thing, by the time I've worked at two, three generations, uh, I'm making some selection and some narrowing but it's uh i mean it's pretty similar to the f1 by f3 there's minor differences yeah but you start to go down a certain direction in my experience with the the crosses i've been making but and it really does depend so much on what you start with because it it's easy to read it on paper and think like oh i'll assume f1 it's going to be a little mix of mom and dad and then f2 we're going to start to see all the grandparents but in reality Sometimes it's uh, not exactly that way. So it's better right. to try and find like the closest to a purest cuche, for example, or to a purest whatever, which is almost impossible in our days, to, to, and start breeding from there, then to grab uh, the actual genetic that's already been, I don't know, crossed it on many times. And start it depends what you want. There. Like yeah, if you yeah, wanted to stabilize cool. your runs, you could yeah. S1 it, and then you might find, you know, 10 to 30% of them are similar to that. Uh, passion fruit smell that you like in your runs or you can f1 it to something completely different so that you can start to pick in the f1 generation uh the stuff that leans more runs like and then pick for that and breed with that yeah and i also um i i've also heard some people talk who are trying to who breeding cannabis and other plants who come from that background where it's like like we uh and again i just want to bring up that like probably pretty much everyone chat everyone on the panel for sure, we're kind of, uh, you know, we're kind of in the know, right? We're sort of um, uh, super users of these terms and these ideas, but a lot of people don't, even professionals don't use them. Like, uh, um, uh, so I guess rigidly, um, you know, you can call the first, you know, crossing an F1 or whatever, but a lot of times, like, there's still a lot of breeding that goes in to like, make sure it's the thing that you want you know, or it has a trace that you want kind of to get to that point. Um, uh, I guess in certain kinds of line breeding, but I'm not a breeder. So, um, but I was, I was listening to someone comment on this who, who comes from a background of breeding plants is now breeding cannabis. And I think that generally checks out like, um, and getting that hybrid vigor uh, is, is really nice uh, when you can, we can, we can take two different populations, put them together um, but you don't, uh, you know, it doesn't always last either. Well, and the, like you were just saying, Matthew, some people will call every single cross to another cross an F1 because you're taking, yes, exactly. they, they're just calling that the initial generation where some people have a standard of what they want or desire from an F1. So it comes down to like the market that you're in, like a corn F1 uh, is usually going to be two F6s or F8s crossed to each other, like two lines that are so uh inbred but have certain desirable traits to breed to each other um that will by themselves not grow very desirably but when you cross them have amazing offspring in cannabis that's very rare like uh donnie burger is actually one of those examples they took larry og to f8 the male is larry og f8 and then they have the gmo and then they've back crossed it twice to make the donnie burger 
So you're going to start to see more consistency. That's why everybody I know who runs Donnie Burger says it's fire because he F8ed the male and then he had, you know, he back crossed twice into the same female. So you're getting probably a little bit more consistent results than a lot of the stuff that's just like polyhybrid ran into a polyhybrid. Uh, and then they set out like 15 crosses from the same, you know, male or reverse female. So there's a difference between the people that are putting the work in and making F1s that have, or even like, you know, back yeah. crosses that have stability and, and consistency versus people that are just rushing stuff out and uh, slapping a label on it and using whatever is the hype flavor of the month. I want to do something that's possible, maybe not possible. I want to do a sweet, fruity A's. <laughs> I like the A's, I like the fruity, and I like the sweetness. And so I want to combine. And when uh, when I mix, for example, my the A's with the um, with the runs, I love the combination of two of them together. For example, because I got the sweetness and the uh, with the passion. Are you fruits. saying haze? Haze. 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 And I have a few. H a z e. Yes, sir. Okay. And I super sativas, and they are the closest I can get to the original ones, sort of speaking. And um, I know that, that, and I want to start there, and uh, maybe use the runs or just finna hunting something else and uh, keep the runs as is. I like it like that. But I want to start making making fun. You should man. It's, it's a lot of fun and and you'll enjoy it. But uh, caveman, how how uh, far away do you Sorry. think you are from harvest here, and uh, when do you typically harvest uh, with with your season? Um. About the first week of October. Yeah, I might be a little earlier on these guys, which isn't. This has been a really untypical year for all the plants. I mean, my garden, everything. Like I usually, uh, I guess that's. I'm only about a week ahead, I guess, when I'm normally in flower. That helps, uh, though. Yeah. A lot ahead is good when you're outside yeah 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 usually about uh all about tomorrow is about the when you see about the 28th is when you see the first signs of flower and uh, I'm, a, I'm about 10 days ahead of that nl is pretty fast flowering and a lot of the ak-47 although that changed throughout time depending on where you sourced it serious seeds is the most popular one i'm aware of uh when i hear ak-47 that's what i think of but both yeah, I actually I actually sourced my AK from a, another gorilla grower uh, back when I was pipelining quite a few years ago. They ordered some seeds from Amsterdam and grew them out in the woods in Illinois. And every couple of years, they'd refresh their seed stock. Uh, I met him on a pipeline, ended up um, getting some seeds from him. Because when I started growing, you couldn't get seeds hardly. It was blown. Mm -hmm. You had to send money to some person in Amsterdam, like a sure. freaking you know envelope in the mail, and hope. Yeah, and never knew what was going to happen. Hopefully. Yeah. So the first year that I went back to the local uh, black market people to get a clone that I liked, and they didn't have it, I started making seeds. That never happened to me again. Self reliance mm -hmm. is a big thing to learn as a farmer, especially <laughs> when uh, you get let down like that. Especially when uh, yep. you enjoyed something, and and you can really see when you start doing it yourself, just how much uh, independence that gives you because you get such a high volume of seed that can set you up for years off of just a single breeding. 
Man, no, it's even more important. The best plants I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, I it, it, it say, checks all the boxes. It's even more important now with hey, all so, the views spread around by clones and cuttings you can get. So, caveman, you uh, yeah. you're growing up in the outdoor. What uh, you've been seeing any bugs? No, um, I had Great. some. I had some uh, aphids early when the plants were, you know, 18 inches tall or so. Um, they didn't seem to be eating. You know, they didn't seem to be sucking any sap out of the plant. The plants just grew fine, so I let them go, and uh, I let the the predators move in. And my, I'm surrounded by weeds. Like my uh, lambs' quarters, my amaranths, and my um, burdocks are just loaded with spider mites. So I've oh, got. Oh yeah. Uh, so yeah, the ones, yeah, yeah, yep. And plus, the ladybugs not... come in to to clean up the predator, the pests on these plants, and then they come comb my plants. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Especially if you get like a small colony, and they're already the other guys are already there. Um, yeah. I was gonna say like, there's a plant uh, near where I live where uh, uh, I don't really know the species, but it's got these bright kind of bell shaped yellow flowers um and they're kind of small but uh it's kind of a woody plant but they had a bunch of aphids but like you know like most of the many of those aphids you know i saw a bunch of hoverflies around them and stuff like yeah and there's aphids going to be around you that don't affect your your cannabis so like they'll like bulk up on those populations and then they'll just you know (laughs) they'll just find some more to to eat so yeah yeah, that's some good timing yeah just leave uh, susceptible, um, basically self-sacrificing plants around. Mm, bugs will go to them. Yep. Oh, yeah. Uh, That's what I do with the Jump out of here. I got to jump over to the uh, Mission Bros Grow Show. And uh, so it was a good ch- I really liked today's show. It, it kind of was no plan, but it turned out to be some really great talk. It started with even a question you think would be kind of a basic question how do i grow big buds but i like how we actually took it serious and then just blow it off so yeah good job go team <laughs> sorry we kept you long spartan but thank you so much for being with us tonight always great to have you Brother, man. Buddy. thank you sure we love spartan man it's, it's already 10 to 2 to the time i know i uh, i'm in a different location so i don't have my uh clock in the same spot behind so it's like i have to move a little bit to check the time i guess i could check it down here on my computer screen i'm just uh, <laughs> used to having a, a little bit larger clock to read off and I, i'm normally good about getting spartan out of here at 45 but he stayed an extra four minutes and uh, was very patient so i appreciate him we, very much for that do we get through all the comments or the questions rather uh i believe yeah we got all the way the last one at least that i copied into the Whoa. chat was asking about brandon's most popular product and i also want to welcome purple thumb who just jumped in Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Cheers to you. How you doing? And I want to say peace out to Caveman because it looks like he uh, jumped off at the same time that we had Spartan head out there. So thank you, Caveman, for showing off the grow. Awesome stuff. Love seeing the AK-47 and cross to NL5. Those are like, AK-47 is the first train I ever grew. So that that brings me back to the, you know, early days for me. (laughs) Too classic. Cheers, Purple Thumb. What are we looking at here? I uh, this is uh just my bedroom. A whole bunch of uh stuff, some katsu stuff, some NY blue bubba, purple cakes, uh some cherry stuffed cherry gelato. I got an autoflower up in here. In my bedroom, that's uh 
a sour stomper from Mephisto. Pretty fucking. Oh, I got to say cheers to you for running Katsu and uh, Katsu uh, for keeping the Bubba alive in a big way. Yeah. I'm a big Bubba fan. So another one. Yep. Yep. I got some Masonics, uh, apples and bananas. I got an apple fritter. Uh, um, Jordan of the Island, Black Candyland. There's a Rainbow Belts 2.0. Yeah, I don't know what that one is, but yeah, yeah. it's been doing it for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Saturday Night Fever, that's awesome from Katsu. Yep. And we got some healthy looking plants. uh, Yeah, thanks. This is just a clone. It's in a cup. It's a Sunday batter that I just set on this earth box and uh, kind of just. Katsu's out here in Oklahoma. Oh, they are. That's cool. Yeah, I met up with him, had lunch. We talked about what he had going on at the time and stuff. He does a lot of old school. Uh, yeah, he's got a lot of old school shit. Seems like a good dude from all I've heard, the uh, good, good accounts. Oh, yeah. Good dude, good dude. Yeah. I'm loving this setup. Thanks, thanks. I just put up a bunch of new LEDs up top here. Oh, fuck ton of them. I'm going to... I'm going to razz you a little bit and say, take the plant out of the solo cup and then put it into the earth box. It'll be a hundred times better. I promise. Yeah. You know, I just set it there and I was just like, yeah. And then when I went to go move it to get rid of it, it was already rooting. So I was just like, yeah, we'll just let it go. And I just let it go and let it go and let it go some more. And now you got it a works. big old plant. Yeah. I mean, so that's, I haven't how, done anything. Uh, I throw some, you know, uh, amendments in there here and there when I top dress these guys and worm casting and water. But other than that, I mean, it doesn't get very much attention at all. But yeah, yeah, that's all we got. Normally, I have I kind of like shrunk it down, so I kind of like to set all these up. I had to move all the plants out of here and take another table out. I got you know two like mother plants just sitting in one gallon, just holding off over here. But I got another table. I got this whole side over here too. I need to do. So. Oh, how big is that room? What's that? How big is that room? Uh, uh, This room is 12 by 12. Well, this was in there to there. Uh, that's, that's a good, that's a good area. Twelve foot long. Congratulations, yeah, size my group for what I got. It's very short, so that's why I went. Uh... That, that's true. This is like I'm like underground here, so it's under concrete here. This corrugated steel. Can't knock it too much. I was shouting out this group earlier, Green Life Productions. This is a former UFC fighter, and now he grows in uh, re-amended living soils, but he just sets the pots on top of his living soil beds. But with a higher plant count, obviously, it's easier for them to achieve the sort of density. Uh, I think that you might have been able to do like two plants on there, and it would have worked out maybe a little bit better. better. But like you said, you didn't do it intentionally. It wasn't like a, yeah. a planned procedure. It just kind of ended up being your way of going about doing it. But I want to also stop sharing so I can uh, spotlight Noah the grower who's shown off his garden Jack, Jack, as well. Before you move, move out. Sorry, Noah. Those plants were on fabric pots. What he cuts the bottom of the pot the bottoms are off of them already. They're pre-cut. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah okay, I was okay. just gonna say that they're, they're bottomless, the pots. bottomless pots. Yeah, 
they're very great okay. for living soil. It's a thing. Nice. Yeah. Gross. It's yep. become like, so and they great. even make them with like a, a Velcro removable kind of thing, or like uh, they have plastic pots that you can just the bottom kind of pops off. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. There's cool Sorry options. Not. Even like Sorry not. looking good, Noah. Sorry not. No worries. No worries. Yeah, this is uh my uh do cross right here is what I'm getting ready to pull down. It's a couple days. You know, you know how it goes. Could be three, could be two. I don't know yet. We're just checking it. That's the chipple burger. And then that that one is uh T one thousand. I was telling you about that. And then uh I think the other one is ice cream cake. Another new one I haven't ran yet. So. looking frosty over Duct there. Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, this right here, that's that's gonna be killer. That's got some big rails down the leaves. It's not for sure. Back there. Uh, if I visit you, that's definitely gonna be the first one I ask to smoke. It's like, <laughs> no, let's break out the uh, triple burger. That's I'll right up my you. alley. Well, with that said, it is five fifty-six, and we've got a couple guests with us. So I'm gonna pass it to our first guest of the evening, Dog Doctor, for your final thoughts and shout out. Looking great, Noah. <laughs> Sorry, Jack. Okay. I wasn't expecting. I got him while he's choking. I'll pass it over to Purple Thumb, and then we'll go back to Dog Doctor. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Cheers, everyone. Uh, yeah, well, thanks for having me on. I'm Purple Thumb. Uh, I've been banned from my Purple Thumb accounts, taken off of uh, Instagram. So, but if you want to find me, I'm at Perps Terps uh, with some Z's on there. I don't know, but no big deal if not. But uh, I'm in chats, you know. Uh, I like to support the community in that way. So. But cheers. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, much love. Much Always love. good seeing you. And maybe try to go through fa Facebook uh, account restoration. I think Brandon says that that's the best way to do it. If you use like a computer versus going on your phone, he's gotten his account back probably a dozen or more times doing something like that. So uh, shout out to you, Purple Thumb. We're always happy to have you in this community. And hopefully you get your IG account back soon. Uh, it's pretty whack that they drop so many of our accounts. It's good to know how to get them back. But dog doctor, you ready? Before you take another yes, sir. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry for the coffee. <laughs> Thank you, Jax. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Purple Time Caveman, uh, for, for showing the gardens. Also, of course, beautiful, massive plants on the caveman. I, it's amazing. I, I'm, I'm dying for it to be legal all over so that I can try and grow my own tree plants. <laughs> And thank you, Jack. Thank you, Noah, Dr. MJ, Matthew, Spartan, everybody for having me, for receiving me. Thank you, Chad. You're always great. I'm Dog Doctor. You can find me as Dog Doctor Official on Instagram or on Girl Diaries. Uh, I have to shout out, of course, Aptus Holland for sponsoring with my nutrients for every plants I have. And the Super Sativa Seed Clad and Dutch Passion for being amazing as they have been. Girls, love you guys. Thank you. Keep growing as Spartan say. Absolutely. Thank everybody. you. Thank you so much, Dog Doctor. And I'm going to pass it next to our the first of our regular panelists, to Dr. MJ. Oh, hey, I think that's me. And I think I'm not muted. Yeah. Um, thanks. I'm sorry I showed up late. I think showing up late though lets me be the first to, to say goodbye, probably. That's how that works. So um that was a fun show. I, I missed the beginning and I actually I'm like sad about it because it was a fun show. I enjoy showing up with you guys and chat and chat was great. I love hanging out and, and talking with everybody in chat. You guys bring up such interesting questions and kind of perspectives on things. Um so thanks for that. 
let everybody know we're, we're marching towards the end of the month here and we do a big giveaway every month so on the last day of this month um in the grower love giveaway at cocoa for cannabis uh we're giving away a spider farmer se 7000 uh big 730 watt light that i'm actually testing right now and i'll do my next video on that too um all you have to do is like go there put your uh email address to register and do some of the bonus actions to get bonus choices but sign up for that i love it when people from our community here win those giveaways and um yeah check out the ask dr coco show that i do through patreon you can get a free week of patreon and come and see one of the shows um, I do that every Monday night, uh, 5 p.m. my time, 8 p.m. out on the East Coast. Grow love, everyone. I'll see you next week. Great having you, Doc. Better late than never, as I always say. And appreciate you for hanging around for the whole rest of the show. Uh, great having you, as always. And next up, Matthew Gates. Yeah, I also enjoyed uh, some of the cool conversations that we had today, especially the interesting ones with regards to rooting. Um, I know it's a really hot topic. Um, I actually I have a, a report about uh, cannabis cultivation techniques that was going over all the various ones that have been researched. That might make a good episode for either next episode or the one before or after that or something. But uh, uh, if you're interested to learn more about pests and pest management, we didn't get into it too much today, but that is my specialty. You can check me out at uh, Zenthanol on YouTube. You can check me out at Zenthanol.com for more information if you have professional inquiries and you can also check me out at patreon and you can join my patreon if you want a ipm specialist in your back pocket for one dollar a month at very minimum so take care everyone and uh, i'm still working on that aphid video so put your eyes out for that great stuff always appreciate you and like uh the seasons with the pest the ipm content i feel like over here ebbs and flows we get questions with our q a's we do every few weeks it seems like and uh sometimes the chat asks a lot about ipm and sometimes it doesn't show up but we're always happy to have you ipm or not uh great to have you on the panel and next up we've got noah the groa yeah i had a fun time today uh a couple of those plants i'm for sure gonna be harvesting before our next show so i thought well everybody's doing their thing but i'm just gonna jump in and you know show it off real quick so it's on there and uh, try and you know share as much as I can with everybody. And yeah, I always have a great time. I'm uh, Noah the Grow with two E's on Instagram. You can find me there. And I'll see everyone next week. Thank you so much, Noah. Always a pleasure having you. And always awesome to see your garden. Uh, welcome addition to the rest of the people showing off their grows. Always happy when I get to see it, whether it's Instagram or here live on YouTube. Uh, great having you, Noah. And la or not last, uh, we've got Brandon Rust up next what's going on everybody thanks again for having me it's always be it's always good to be here when i can make it um you guys can all if you guys i think i said it earlier but you can find me at rust.brandon on ig and uh, you can always just uh search my name in youtube there's tons of different uh podcasts that i've done pretty much with all of the cannabis podcasts and all of which have pretty good information on there. So check those out. You can check out the website, MokashiEarthworks.com. Uh, we have the smart carbon. We have microbes. We've got amendments. We're going to actually be doing uh, some some other stuff on there uh, here pretty soon too. So I'll see you guys next week. Selling products. That was one of the questions. What's that? What's your best selling product? 
Oh yeah, yeah, the micro plus. Yeah, but, we did that uh, one. We earlier. got the uh, we have the uh, okay. smart carb, uh, the uh, uh, Nutri-Grill cup gonna be good stuff. Well, I'll I'll say this: yeah. the uh, I used oh, some of the Bokashi as well as the micro plus on my neighbor's plumeria a few weeks ago, and it has bloomed now for the first time. And she was complaining that it wasn't blooming, so I uh, she was all jealous of mine. And to be a good neighbor, you help out, especially your uh, elderly individuals, eighty plus, if you can. If you got the time, energy, and abilities to uh, do that for your your friends, neighbors, and loved ones, it's definitely worth the efforts. And uh, last and certainly not least of our panelists this evening is the American one. All right, I got the mute button finally. Jack, as always, thank you for your impeccable hosting abilities. As always, it's good to see everyone on the panel. It's great to see everyone in chat. Thanks to uh, Dog Doctor, Caveman purple thumb and no to grow it too for showing their plants you gotta love that and uh yeah everyone have a great week um the american one on youtube and the american one underscore with underscore Keens on the ig and if you plug in amyaces.com you'll be able to buy some amyaces seeds if you want and uh yeah that's about it peace out all always great having you tile thank you very much and uh, I guess that leaves me. I'm your host at Jack Greenstock on Instagram. Jack underscore Greenstock is my Twitter or backup account on Instagram. If you want to email me, jackgreenstock47 at gmail.com. If you want a copy of my book, 50 Strains of Green, go to 50strains.com. I'm also still uh, selling five packs and 11 packs of Velvet Punch F3. If you're in the United States and looking for those, I did mention that strain earlier today. So you might be looking for some of them. I do have some packs available. So hit me up. And uh, with that being said, hope everybody has a great week and we look forward to seeing you all next week, hopefully uh, with either Matthew's topic or another one. We'll see, always keep you on. You know, you never know. Just keep you guessing. Yes. All right, y'all. Peace and love. Peace love, everybody. <laughs>